Welcome back to Under the Radar, a Rolling Stones podcast about deep cuts and hot cookies with Tim Lindsay and Christian Bonner. We did mention Blinded by Rainbows already, but let's go through it and run it down a bit. So again, this is another clue that we're in the 90s because they are uh, directly uh, referencing uh, the situation in Northern Ireland. Yeah, so the Semtex bomb is is about christian terrorism like it's specifically referring to the troubles in in belfast and using that religious i think that it's great to use that religious like what do you think you think jesus wants you to blow people up like right. are you out of your mind yeah. here yeah um very very nice melody and very nice arrangement mm-hmm. uh i very rarely want to talk about a guitar solo i think that the best guitar solos just kind of serve the song and get out of there before they become obnoxious or draw too much attention to themselves mm-hmm. i really love this solo of woody's yeah it's excellent um and and, and it doesn't it, it's not too shouty it's not a solo uh, that's sort of appendicular to a mm-hmm. song like it it fits and it comes yeah. at the right place and i think that this song must have hit well, literally close to home for him. Belfast is not a far drive away from Dublin or from where he lived, close to Dublin. And, you know, this is like in the news every day if you're living there about kids getting blown up. And, you know, it's a it's a hard-hitting song. And it's disguised in a way where if you're not really sure what it's about, you can take it on a number of levels. But it, as protest songs go, for the Rolling Stones in the 90s, they did a great job with this. Yeah, and that's again, that's another thread that they don't really get they get criticized for not doing it. And mm-hmm. I always say, you know, high wire yeah. mother's little helper blinded by rainbows. Like they do it. They do it. It's just, you don't pay attention to right. it. <laughs> yeah. And, and when they get it wrong, like with sweet neocon, like people really jump down their throats for it. So they're always, not, you know, and wrong is a relative term. I mean, right. I think that we're getting to the end. I was just saying this, uh, the other day. Uh, but I think we're getting to the point now where, you're more likely to get fired because your boss is progressive and you're being uh, an idiot than offending middle America. And sure. that's what Sweet Neocon did. And sweet, the problem with Sweet Neocon, I would say, is that it's just not a particularly good song. Yeah, the lyrics are a bit silly. And, but I don't really have an issue with the spirit of it. And the controversy surrounding it was a bit much. And had they switched it for, I don't know, maybe under the radar, the album might be just a hair... Yeah, better. It's just the great. guys who named their podcast after that song. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're legally obligated to mention that we are not affiliated with the magazine called Under the Radar. <laughs> we aren't, but nor I, with <laughs> Radar. We don't have a Radar. We don't use Radar. <laughs> Underwear, same deal. Don't use it. <laughs> Never had a use for it. Then we have Baby Break It Down. Baby Break It really wonderful the, the, yeah. the, the last side of this record yeah like like so many of them like there's a lot of hidden stuff here baby break it down is another keith and again keith's lyrics to this if you hear his original kind of attempts at writing the lyrics i'm mm-hmm. just like who cares yeah um mick brought that uh literary credibility to this which would, would have otherwise just been a kind of mm-hmm. another groove but it's an interesting chord progression for keith that da dum da which he recycles yeah he does it again on through and through right and then he did it again on 
uh, cross-eyed heart for mm-hmm. uh, suspicion. Yeah, I think. And he does it a lot, and he get he likes to get into certain things and just kind of see where they go. A little bit on that uh, infamy track on on Bigger Bang too, right? Like that similar kind of walking bass. Arguably satisfaction. Yeah, sure. You know, like he he gets a thread and he and he pulls on it. When you're I playing think in an open tuning, you're gonna you're gonna have this pedal one, points. This right? one is in standard tuning. Oh, it is. And so is through and through. I know it sounds like it's in open tuning, and you could play it in open tuning, mm-hmm. but uh, it's uh, G, and that actual the da 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 is f and e ah, it's a third right. so, yeah. and then it goes up to the g whereas through and through so through and through comes from i think the many experimentations with the idea of um the way jimmy reed plays a five chord mm-hmm. by leaving the a string open he talks about that quite a lot so then from there it's not that hard to hammer onto the the b sure and then you get that seventh to the one thing. yeah a little bit of dissonance there. the difference is is that through and through is minor and baby break it down is major got it right so yeah it's an interesting pairing to have those two songs if you bought the vinyl version originally that was the end of the record was those two and mean disposition which is the last track on the cd was left off but and it's funny because this is the last record probably forever that that on the cd version doesn't end with a keith song mm-hmm. yeah well, let's mm-hmm. let's talk about through and through and and baby break it down as a pairing because I think what you have there is again Keith is kind of reaching for something and trying to like continue a conversation. In a sense, it's like baby break it down is the first moment of reunification after a couple fight. I right. would bet you it was written after the fight with Mick. Mm. I would be surprised if that were not the case. And then through and through is like the deeper core of the ultimate re- realization that he's. He's stuck in this relationship. Yeah. He, he's stuck in this relationship, but he's okay with that. Yeah. You know, it's it's like being in a marriage. A marriage is distinct from being in love with somebody. Mm-hmm. It's an obligation. Sure. It's a and contract. The last song that I think that they wrote about that, and f- from maybe a different angle, is "Slave," which is about like I fucking <laughs> hate doing this. <laughs> uh, big yeah. jam, though. Such a big jam. Yeah, great jam. Um, but through and through is also really interesting because it feels like a moment for Keith that we haven't really seen before, or maybe the closest was maybe all about you where it's, it's so introspective and so much of a soul bearing exercise. But it's, and also arrangement wise, it has synthesizers fairly prominently. And you can hear a bootleg mix of this, which is longer and and filled with synthesizers. And it's just like, Oh my God. It's probably just a faders up, turn everything up and see how it sounds. It's just an old, I'm your lover, baby, true and true. Lover, baby, true. Mm-hmm. So apparently, uh, there's a story that. Uh, Woody is friends with uh, Slash, mm-hmm. or as his mother calls him, Saul Hudson. Yeah, and uh, so so old Saul is there in the in the studio, and he and they're working on through and through. And at one point, he says to Keith, 
oh, this sounds great. Let me let me get my guitar and plug in. And he says, I like you, kid, but don't push your luck. Yeah. <laughs> so, because like that that is kind of rude, I think, to just assume that you're wanted on a Rolling right. Stones album. Yeah, but also I think it's too personal for Keith to allow yeah. that idea. I think I think having Slash on it would be a real distraction. It would be because he doesn't. He starts at 10. Yeah, and I like that. Like, I love seeing Slash, like, shred, but on through and through, it would be very inappropriate. There's already, like, there's, a, and certainly when they brought this back, um, because of the Sopranos, when they brought it back on sure. the, uh, the, the soundtrack, yeah. The, the 20, uh, 2003 tour. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely times where Keith, where Keith himself gets too noodly with it. Sure. Yeah, and the outro is sort of it. It's hard to know where it should end because it fades out on the record. Well, to me, and that's that's proof that it, it is a concept. Yeah, right. It's a concept record, and that it's not supposed to end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's 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 the eternal yeah groove. In that sense, maybe it should have ended the record, but I, I also like that you have a pairing of Keith tracks here where, you know, he's playing piano. It's clearly a kind of interesting harmonic new game for him. And then the last sucker punch is Mean Disposition. I I think that I just like Mean Disposition so much and it doesn't really seem to fit anywhere else. Yeah. That I, I just, I remember the first time I heard it, it really just stood out. I love the upright bass. Mm-hmm. There's a fair amount of upright bass on this record, I think, because Bill couldn't play the upright bass. Yeah, and now that they had Daryl, they were eager to show off what he was capable of. Yeah, and he's uh, he's a if you don't know, Daryl Jones is quite good at the old bull the fiddle. Ba- bull fiddle, yeah. <laughs> I think re- immediately prior to this is when he was doing. Madonna. Madonna's tour, yeah. And then before that, he was in the Miles Davis band. But Sting in between. Right. Dream of the Blue Turtles. If, every time. I, I, that's all I dream about. <laughs> I go Why to dream sleep? about it? It should just be called Dream. Uh, every, <laughs> every time I go to sleep, Blue Turtles <laughs> up in there. Uh, yeah, so like as, as Mick introduced him, Miles to Madonna and back. Yeah, sure. And I think that if you can do that range... You're something. The reason yeah. why I still say Daryl Jones is the best living bass player. Sure. There's what Victor Wooten can play more notes. Absolutely. And Tony Levin can slap a that stick. Yeah. Like there, <laughs> there are people who can do, but th- there's technique and then there's, then there's appropriateness. And what Daryl has is that what I love about Daryl is that fill in the, in the no security. You got me rocking mm. there. It's one well-chosen moment to 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 Let just do this ridiculous run and that just gets your what like just make sure you're awake at that yeah, point yeah. because hard rocking songs are something like action scenes mm-hmm. and where if they aren't extremely efficient and well choreographed they can become very boring very yeah. quickly it's, it's easier, too much of a good thing it's easier i find to hold attention through a ballad because there's so much space to breathe and it's so much and you're you're starting quieter so you, there's a, there's a higher place to go if you're starting at like 70% and you're going to 90 yeah you've got to really map that out in order to make it interesting and and to me the best musicians are not people 
who can simply play more notes faster or do a busier thing. It's the people who can fit in with anything. Like you can put Jeff Beck anywhere and yeah. he would never embarrass himself. Yeah. last track and it's just the now six piece rolling stones like the core four members plus daryl and daryl and chuck that's all you need to that's the orchestra it's the b stage yeah and i i do like uh, you mentioned robert palmer i i like the kind of uh kind of legalese tone of yeah. this record and 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 it's kind of that there's a big thread in the 90s uh, of people talking about being overly litigious and like, why can't I just punch somebody in the face? Yeah, sure. <laughs> kind of a weird, weird thing where I think we're reevaluating yeah, our society. Keith Richards contra Donald Trump. Yes, and we are clearly in the mirror universe here now yeah. because Keith was not allowed to murder or <laughs> or, or severely right. incapacitate Donald Trump. Yeah. And we have to bear the brunt of that. And soon we'll all have goatees, I, I assume. Uh, but... The, the kind of thing about, like, you know, you're not going to get sued. Somebody is going to kill you, right? It's, right? it's not quite the same as, like, Carwin or a lot of the comedians at the time being like, oh, why can't I just swear and be obnoxious? Like, mm-hmm. that's not what he's saying. It's like the threat is is beyond social. It's, it's like somebody is just going to come to your house and shoot you. But it's still somehow fun. Like, and it is, it is a very, it is a very archetypal blues territory. Yeah. But it has this other... It's, it's a bit jazzier. It's almost like a more rocking version of maybe Jimmy Witherspoon mm. or something like that, where it's, um, you know, still it's pentatonic. It's not harmonically baffling or anything like that. But it's got a very... It's got a, a very elegant walking bass that isn't just a stock blues line. And it's got a, a piano in it that's really holding the core of, the, of this song. And the rest is all kind of... If that gives that gives Keith and Woody the the the, the room they need to, to stretch out. It's right. it's a really wonderful exercise in playing blues and uh, American roots music with a lot of vitality. And it's not a this isn't a wax museum. This is in and of the time, and that's the beauty of the whole record. It is in many ways the purest expression of the Stones because there's no like, oh, we've got to keep up with the Black Keys and Jack White. There's no, uh, what's uh, Dr. Dre up to? Yeah. It's the totally inward journey of what what yeah. is our what is the hardest heart of the Rolling Stones? What yeah. Is the chorus values. And uh, to me, mean uh, mean disposition is actually uh, kind of it. Yeah, there's many other. I mean, again, you got me rocking. There's a, there's many examples of it on the record. It's somewhere in there, I think, uh, and it the material on it is only. I, I kind of appreciate it more and more with with time, mm-hmm. and it is very much the without being a parody. It's the closest I think they've ever gone to making another XL on Main Street. Yeah, and and even in structure, like where you know the first side, so called, is like. Shit hot four on the floor like dance rock it's kind of getting that all out of the way yeah. immediately so they can get into the the more 
emotional stuff. Yeah. Also, you know, they recorded a lot more than they fit on the record. Like if you want to wade through all those bootlegs and there's lots and lots of possible stuff that they could have finished off and put on there, that would have been at least as good as the things on the record. So like you've got Honest Man, which is a mix song, and it sounds like it's just him on guitar, Charlie on drums. Um, But it feels like it's almost finished. Like the lyrics are all there. It's got a great melody, lots of good hooks. They covered uh, Trouble Man, right? Which yeah. is weird uh, and great. And and again, there's a whole other record of like the Keith Roots music, sure thing. Like yeah. there are North so Country m- Far, and there there are so many ways they could have taken this. I'll I'll just like quickly run down. We mentioned the B sides. You've got Jump on Top of Me. I'm gonna drive the storm. You got it made. Another great outtake. version of the nearness of you a, a different one yeah than the than the uh frog hollow mm-hmm. one that is in the basquiat soundtrack right uh i was surprised by that because i thought someone had simply uh mislabeled it but yeah it's a different take um th- I, again there's other keith stuff he does a version of the beatles please please me i guess i guess don voss might have dared him to but i like he doesn't play the bridge because he hates it yeah. he's like he says horrible beatles bridge <laughs> and then makes fun of it yeah and i think he's kind of right like it's not it's a good song but the the bridge kind of lets it down a little bit hearing him play that harmonized fourth lick uh that the harmonica does on the record on guitar is so great (laughs) and i really think it's underrated like i've made many criticisms about who keith is as a person and his pettiness and the, the the stuff in the book that's dumb but this particular exercise in his acoustic playing and answering Don Waz's uh, questions about stuff really does show not only what an amazing musician he is, but what a vast repository of lore. Yeah. Like the knowledge that he has. Yeah. He um, just pulls out like, oh, who originally did that? Blind Gary Davis. He's just yeah. Got and he also knows stuff. that yeah. it's that he stole it from someone. Yeah. <laughs> right. And and uh, he can t- he can say. Like the cocaine blues, right? That's what we're talking about. Yeah. See, baby, what you gonna do? Cocaine all around my brain. Hey, baby, come here quick. This old cocaine's making me sick. And I, I've learned, my, I made my guitar teacher transcribe a lot of it. Uh, I, so I, I really know those, those arrangements pretty well where I've adapted them. Like, I don't do his, I get a kick out of you. I kind of had to figure it out for myself. But he can tell you, like, those C-shaped chords and going up, going down to the E and stuff like that. He says, like, that's, you, you know that's um, Carolina. That's a yeah. Carolina style. Yeah. Whereas, um, you know, you can you know that by contrast, like, Helen Wolf grew up around Highway 49. And, like, John Lee Hooker learned, uh, learned, a Louisiana, uh, learned a Louisiana style, even though he was from Mississippi. Right. So, um, 
knowing all those regional styles and knowing how they influenced each other and who was kind of had one foot in one and the other. Yeah, uh, it may not look like Keith is doing much up there, but he's bringing to bear the weight of all that accumulated wisdom every time he plays. Yeah, and again, it's a different approach to music rather than like, look at all the notes I can play as sure. in like having that grounding Tom Waits again in the, in the, the Netflix documentary says it's like, he's a London cabbie. He's gone out and he's, he's got the knowledge. Yeah. And so that he's way memorized the book. That's why when thrown it, com- it away, when it comes time for him to do an arrangement, he sure he, he looks inward, but he's also can say like, all right, well, I can use a piece of this and a piece of that to, mm-hmm. to fill in the parts that I don't understand or I don't, I don't that aren't clear. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's I think, the, the best way to be an artist, to, to, know, to know yourself. Mm-hmm. But how do you get to some great new ground unless you are familiar with what has come before? You yeah. have to... And it, music is an oral tradition. It's not yeah. given enough credit for being... We, we always think of this and we think of the Kalahari Bushmen or we think of, you know... Um, indigenous peoples but like we do have this in our society and we do need to respect it yeah you know i don't know anything about music that i learned what i learned from a book is like nothing like yeah what i learned playing along the records right like that's how a lot of people learn and and i learned at the the feet of a a master right like the 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 more direct you can make it i think the better but we do what records themselves it's like umberto echo right Mm. like you every piece of art includes instructions on how it was made yeah the right text itself is a source yeah we have a really big problem with well nobody wrote that that's how it went but but it's there yeah you, you can tell you can it's learn. there why yeah. why are you ignoring the primary source that's right. that's what i would say so if i was going to put a time capsule of the stones circa 1994 for future generations to discover I'd include the original Virgin CD pressing because, you know, that's the best it's ever I did not like the remastered version I found on streaming services. The 2009 remaster is too compressed. And I think uh, Marcuson, Stephen Marcuson, did both the original mastering and the remaster. So I don't know what, what he did that screwed it up but sometimes that limiting thing can help for streaming services mm-hmm. but i i don't in this think case you're there was nothing wrong with it yeah. to begin with no. i think steel wheels on the mastering i would say voodoo lounge is a great reference for mastering volume yeah i i don't think it's loud enough that it's got some some bite and mm-hmm. that you're not like yeah why is that so clock yeah but it it's, a lot it, of the time it's hanging back from the full scale limit too it's not going to digitally clip if you rip it and like convert it to mp3 or something yeah so here we are back at the the dynamic range podcast <laughs> uh i am really interested i did have a vinyl pressing of it i remember liking it but my ear wasn't developed if you do have a first edition vinyl pressing you're sitting on 250 dollars yeah. so know that and we're about to hear how it sounds with you know half speed mastering now so and so this one was done to tape but probably digitally mastered yeah i think they probably took the mixes to dat when they did the mastering and then used that as the source but perhaps they have dubs of the analog reels as well to master from so i would guess that the tapes to this one are probably still in decent shape because they haven't been gone back to every 10 years right to remaster them so it is very it is a very vinyl friendly mix like it it the punchiness of the way everything sits together, the stereo image, it's all its all primed and ready to go. So I, I'm excited for how it's going and to And I assume out. that's because at this point, it was still kind of like, uh, CDs are here to stay, but we don't know. Well, I think Virgin Records at the time, you know, they'd just, I think, recently sort of 
been taken over by EMI for some of their distribution. So they had the distribution backbone to be able to do vinyl in certain markets, whereas other labels were already cutting their losses and stopping vinyl production entirely. And the irony is we're here in 2018 and CDs are about to go out of production forever, whereas vinyl is actually innovating and growing. Yeah. So go figure. So that CD is going in the time capsule. Would you put any of the single disc compilations or a distillation of the bootlegs into the um, time capsule? I would have to say I, I really like jump on top of me. Yeah. Uh, I would I would really like to put that in. In terms of time capsule for 1993, I don't really know, or 94. Um, Certainly some of the Keith stuff. I, right? I, I like a lot of the singles. I like a lot of the single mixes. I think they're worth oh, considering. Yeah. yeah, some of the trance mix stuff is actually kind of interesting. The disco mix of You Got Me Rockin'. And, and the super horny yeah. Love is Strong. <laughs> uh, but it definitely, if we're talking about the bootlegs, definitely the uh, Keith's Cocaine, Girl mm-hmm. from the North Country. Yeah. Uh, the Salty Dog. Yeah. Um, and uh, Why else? You Runnin'. Uh, I would put in uh, another CR, as it's called, which is, I guess, stands for Charlie and Ronnie. They, they've got a great groove on that. Um, Honest Man, like I mentioned, I think that if they were to do a deluxe version of this record, I think that would be a prime candidate to be remixed and finished off and, and given release even as a single. It's I would strong. say that there is probably pent-up demand for a Tattoo You Super Deluxe Edition mm-hmm. or, or, or bonus thing, yeah. whatever. Uh, I think that there's probably uh, some demand for... Uh, I think this year's the 50th for Beggar's Banquet. That would be a very interesting one to do yeah. because we know there's more from that and yeah. they could they could include, uh, you know, outtakes of Child of the Moon, Jumping Jack Flash. The stuff that's in uh, that jam that's in Sympathy for the Devil that I think is an early version of Child of the Moon where mm-hmm. they're, they're playing the tabla yeah and stuff like that beggar's banquet would be a great one for a super deluxe edition um what i was disappointed with the exile on main street one is that there wasn't a lot of the earlier olympic recordings of some of those songs i've heard a piano demo of let it loose right. and i'm sure there's an earlier shine a light um so it would be interesting to to include that on a beggar's banquet and let it bleed we've done the sticky fingers so i would say probably after clearing out beggar's banquet and let it bleed the next most demand is probably tattoo you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think as the the we've seen, you know, it's just a, an indication because we have these bootlegs that we know that there's this much material for this record. I think for every record, there's at least this much material. So yeah, that raises the other question: Is there this much material for everything? Is Voodoo Lounge because by virtue of being a longer process because of the auditions and the stuff with Woody? Um, you know, there's there's definitely outtakes from everything. Don Watts says it's like we've heard less than ten percent of what they have in their archives. Yeah. So that's the, 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 he compared it to the warehouse at the end of Raiders of the Lost Star. Right. Right. So that to me makes me very excited that there's that much stuff to do, even if it is just jams like yeah. Extreme Western Grip or yeah, yeah, yeah. Well Well. I love that and I want to hear it all. And I want to hear their new record. So yeah. that's where we're at, guys. Um, I think by the next the next time we record a podcast, um, the new box set will be out. Uh, so we'll probably have more to say about that. And, and then uh, the next one is probably no security. Yeah. But I think after those two podcasts, uh, we'd be interested in, in covering something else that you suggest. So uh, once again, get in touch with us on Facebook or uh 
send us an email. Uh, our address is rollingstonespodcast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook just by searching for Under the Radar, or Rolling Stones Podcast. Please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and if you're so inclined, give us a good review there. That does help uh, with our search metrics for some reason. I don't know. Ask Tim Cook. Yeah, Tim Cook's uh, looking at us all the time. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say to him. Uh, but uh, I know a lot of people are discovering the podcast because they liked uh, the no filter stuff we did, and that's great. Um, please recommend us to your friends if you know another Rolling Stones nut in your life who would enjoy this. And uh, as always, thank you for listening. So until next time, I've been Tim Lindsay. And I continue to be Christian Bonner. <laughs> that's until the next time, <laughs> we say goodbye. <laughs> till the next time, we say goodbye.